You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. again welcome to the JCN clinic podcast show I'm Jessica and I'm Carissa and we have another guest with us here today in the studio in inverted commas <laughs> in the clinic room um, very very excited we have Glenn Barrett from the wild canary and we um, are going to be getting him talking all about his passion which is local produce and sustainability, I would say, that comes wrapped up in that. I'm just guessing that's very we'll much part of that for you. <laughs> but yeah, welcome, Glenn. Thank and you. if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, that would be wonderful. Yeah, uh, my name is Glenn Barrett. I'm the executive chef now. That's just like a title more than anything. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've got head chef there, and he's doing a great job. Um, and it just eases things up for me a little bit. And things like we went and we're doing producers dinner tomorrow night, but I actually went out to the scenic rim and picked up a lot of the produce that we're going to use. So it was there first thing for the guys to start prepping for dinner tomorrow night. So allows me to sort of go a field, um, which is really good. So I get to meet the farmers, see what the conditions are like and we're right into sort of, you know, sourcing local. A lot of our produce comes within a two hour radius of the restaurant that probably 95% of it does, mm-hmm. um, and then the rest of it's from within Australia, so we don't use anything imported, which is really great, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, always support local. Yeah, great. And can I ask, like, sort of stepping back a little bit from mm. what you're doing uh, right now, um, where this all grew from? Was it something from, like, a young age that you grew up with understanding and appreciating? Like, I know for myself, growing up on a farm, like, I was very aware of, like, growing produce and how it came from the garden to the plate. But, yeah, how did that transpire yeah. for yourself? Well, I started cooking as a young child, I guess, just doing biscuits and cakes. So yeah. It was sort of more of a hobby, uh, which is really good. And it's like the fact that I could come home from school and just make biscuits and then eat them. So that was really <laughs> cool. So, yeah. And but then you also yeah had stuff that you could take to school as well. So, you know, cakes. And then from that, I started, it didn't get boring, but I just wanted to uh, – just really enjoyed spending time in the kitchen and sort of, I guess, the science behind the way things change when you heat them and cook them and stuff mm-hmm. like that as well, but also the flavours and, you know, be able to make tasty, healthy meals that you could then, you know, eat afterwards. It was pretty cool. So started volunteering to do dinners. Um, with that, became interested in sort of, I guess, French cookery more than anything. Mm-hmm. So I know they're sort of like pretty precise and particular and, you know, there's a lot of sort of method and discipline to the way that they cook. So I really like that. And yeah, they're so about, I guess, sourcing produce as well. So we've got all the different provinces, obviously, and there's so many sort of classical dishes and, you know, food items that sort of relate to all the different areas throughout France. So that was interesting. But from that, that led an interest in gardening. So I started growing my own herbs uh, and then that sort of, you know, growing my own vegetables from that and then experimenting with, you know, things like chilies and different fruits and vegetables. And yeah, it sort of went from there. So went through high school sort of still sort of tinkering in the kitchen but not really knowing what I wanted to do once I left school uh went to St Lawrence's over South Brisbane to do year 11 and 12 and tried to tee up doing work experience I did uh law through the city I think that was more what my parents wanted me to do so (laughs) that was sort of a cool week you know running around the places going to the different courts and everything yeah 
I don't know. I don't think I could ever see myself sitting behind a desk. So yeah. that sort of uh, sort of made me hesitant with that. And then I end up looking for work experience myself. School pretty much had already placed me. They wouldn't set, like tee anything else up. So end up walking pretty much uh, every restaurant through the city and asked if anyone to take me on for work experience. Most of the larger hotels had already been taken because schools had pre-booked, so mm -hmm. they didn't have any availability. We went down to Michael's Riverside, which is now Blackbird yep. Bar and Grill, yep. and talked to the receptionist. She sent yep. me across the road to Bernadette, who was the wife of the sous chef at the time, mm -hmm. and she pretty much just said, yeah, when do you want to come in? I said, well, I've got a week off for holidays, if I could come in and do a week. So mm -hmm. pretty much, yeah, went there on my school holidays. On the second day, the sous chef said there's a position available for a first-year apprentice if you want it, but I'm not used to that sort of commercial environment, so... I sort of he was hesitant, didn't say anything. And then on the Thursday, the head chef came up to me and said, oh, look, we like the way that you work. You're pretty methodical. Everything's mm -hmm. been cool that you did, and there's a position if you want it. So I said I had to finish year 12, obviously, because it was sort of at the last term. Yeah. And then from there, I did schoolies for a week and then started work, and I've been working ever since. So wow. Yeah, so it was pretty good. So I did four years at, because back then it wasn't yeah. competency-based. You had to do a four-year apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. um, and in that four years, I stayed within Michael's Riverside, which was good because it was a pretty strict, disciplined kitchen. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was one of the best restaurants through the city. Mm -hmm. Back then, there wasn't really an emphasis as much as there is now at all, really, about where the produce was coming from. There wasn't a connection with the farmers um, and even the head chef at the time. that He wasn't sort of, you know, mm -hmm. sort of in any sort of limelight or being able to sort of, you know, promote what he did or, you know, go to festivals and do cooking demonstrations. So it was sort of a little bit strange, but from there, I uh, ended up going to the casino because I wanted to see what a larger kitchen was like. Mm -hmm. uh, they, really yeah, I didn't really, I mean, mm. nothing wrong with the place, but I just, I, more sort of like the size of Michael's and even that was a little bit big. Mm. Um, so I tried out yeah, the casino for a while when they first opened and that was good, good experience sort of seeing mass production kitchens, um, 24 hour kitchens and sort of gave me an understanding of I guess how a hotel or a larger establishment would work. At that time I was doing, I'd finished or met through college at South Brisbane Tape, Matt Glinsky. Um, so we end up sharing a house together at Red Hill while we're sort of doing TAFE and stuff like that. And he was working at a restaurant just off Park Road called Chevalier's Restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, he needed a sous chef, so ended up going on board with Matt. Mm -hmm. And Matt, I think, was probably the catalyst for me actually really becoming passionate of where food actually right. came from. He's from the Sunshine Coast and, you know, a pretty good sort of rich agricultural area with sort of volcanic soil and you know, access to the ocean, so, you know, really awesome seafood, but then the hinterland area, so there's all those sort of different sort of growing areas that provide, you know, essentially just wicked food all year round. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, he'd always come back from days off with, like, strawberries that you could smell. As soon as he entered the kitchen, you could smell this, like, <laughs> perfume of strawberries. Wow. That yeah. Do, like, and they'd be second strawberries. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. So, like, yeah. they're, you know, so flavourful when we do wicked chilli jams and, you know, things just using this produce that he'd bring back all the time. Mm -hmm. So ever since then, that's sort of been just one of those passions sort of, and particularly now with Wild Canary. I mean, where, the last place I worked at was Restaurant 2, and that would have been well, almost seven years ago now. Uh, even then, we did have good connection with some farmers in particular, but that was through even Tables of Tawong, where it was before we moved to Restaurant 2. Um, I guess... It was still that sort of, you know, boxes turning up in the loading dock. 
you know, you'd open them and there'd be sort of no connection with like, you know, mm -hmm. where the animal had come from. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work had already been done. There's not really as much snow as the tail sort of stuff or even root to leaf uh, through those places as well. But the food was really good and always really good produce. So mm -hmm. I've had that sort of, I guess, training and experience handling really good sort of food, but at the same time, that still missing that connection. So sure. particularly with Wild Canary, that was one of the first things we sort of were interested in doing was establishing relationships with farmers that were sort of close to the restaurant, supporting, yeah, local wherever we could. So mm -hmm. um, even local businesses, uh, we've got a lady, Virginia, who does Providore Princess, so she's got access to the markets. At the time when we first set up the restaurant, she saw that what we were doing and approached us and said, look, I do fruit and veggie boxes for the local area, drop them off their houses, but I'm interested in actually getting into cafes and restaurants. Mm -hmm you know, would you be interested in if I came and started supplying you? And I'd use other fruit and veggie people through the markets and mm -hmm. they sort of, yeah, end up having a holiday period and then after a while, it's sort of, you know, they're just sort of pumping you fruit and veg and once again, no connection. So she ended up being, you know, an access point or she'd actually pick up veg that we'd arrange through different producers because they were going to the markets anyway. She'd intercept them before that. She made it to, you know, the providors and the vendors through the markets they go straight to the back of her truck and then she delivered them to us. So it's good for her and we've had her with us ever since. So, yeah, nice. Um, her business has really grown. I think she's got four trucks now, four girls working with her. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good and she's local as well. So it's, I mean, where we can do stuff like that, mm, I mean, yeah. it makes us feel good. But then once again, we've got that connection. So we've cut out the middleman a lot. Um, the money goes straight to the farmers. She'll do that almost as a favour, but there's mm -hmm. still things that we need to source through the markets. like. Mm -hmm. Not everything comes directly from the farm, but wherever possible it does. So that initial relationship that you developed back with Matt, would you say that was the catalyst to get you thinking about the food from a local source point of view and how much more you could extract flavour-wise? Because you, you, as you're saying, you're like you, from a young age, you had this passion for food and, and really amazing training with um, like with these really fantastic kitchens and obviously understanding food and flavours and good produce per se. But would you say that was like a point where you had this light bulb moment almost of like, wow, as you were talking about those strawberries, mm. having a, something like that and going, this is next level. Like I can really see a difference. Or am I oh, going definitely. I mean, <laughs> growing a lot of your, I mean, growing my own herbs and veggies yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. that was, I mean, that's half of it, I think. But then yes. also, yeah, Matt was, I guess, yeah, the sort of the straw that, yeah. Not break the camel's back, but yeah, yeah. it was a, it was like all aligned and went. Yeah, mm. it was really cool. We can grow stuff yourself, and I mean, we do that at Wild Canary now. We've got 140 mm -hmm. square meters of raised garden beds. Um, we've got one of the girls from Nursey, Heidi, and she takes care of the gardens every Wednesday. So mm -hmm. she's like purely dedicated to, you know, just working with what we'd like to grow. But it's also up to her. It's like you tell me what you'd like to grow, and we can yeah, use it cool. in the restaurant. And yeah, any of the recipes that we use. We sort of, you know, people pick the herbs as they need them. So nice. they probably, kids, well, the guys that work in the kitchen don't really know how to handle herbs if they come in pre-bought through, like, the markets. Like, they just go out to the garden and pick mm. what they need when mm. they want, Yeah, which is great. So, yeah. I mean, we do soup, breakfast, lunch. We've got a producer's dinner tomorrow. So we do events every now and then in the evening just because of a change of liquor license. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have that sort of experience. So it sort of feels very sort of personable. 
Uh, it's just like having a big dinner party, really, when we have people around, um, mm -hmm. which is great. So, that's you know, pretty amazing. intimate little restaurant. So good. You were meant um, to come. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's what it feels like. It's just like instead of having like you know, eight or ten people around, it's like yeah. maybe a hundred people. But yeah. we're showcasing um, and we do that every day at the restaurant. We get excited about, you know, mm -hmm. we get uh, mushrooms, a little lake of mushrooms. So they're growing, you know, mushrooms at West End. So it's like mm -hmm. a urban farm. They're, mm -hmm. Just the mushrooms are insane. And they're using them in places like... Uh, Ark, um, where else? Blackbird Bar and Grill mm -hmm. are using their mushrooms. A lot of the really good restaurants in the city uh, are using their mushrooms because they're the best mushrooms that mm. you can get as close as possible to the restaurant as well. So once again, supporting local. Those guys are just crazy passionate mm. about what they do as well. Do they do? Are you thinking about the medicinal mushrooms? No, well, I was going to say, we're like the second person to give them a shout out because we had yeah, Kat right. from Mountaintop Mushrooms in here the oh, other yeah, week yeah. doing a podcast and she said the same thing. Mm. She's like, if you come across Little Acre Mushrooms, she's like, those guys are phenomenally passionate about mm. what they do and yeah. their whole story as well. So the thing that I think is really cool is, and I feel like because you're so bring the microphone to me um, and I feel like because you're so immersed in the world that um of like you know this sourcing local and knowing your farmer and all of that like I feel like for you it is something that's going on everywhere but I think the thing that I loved when I came across you guys which I'd followed you don't followed you guys on social media at Wild Canary for quite a while and then the scenic rim producers was it a dinner or lunch it was a lunch, lunch the first one yeah. you did yeah and I went to that and I was just mind blown because mm. I honestly remember I came back yeah. and I was just like oh my god it's happening in Brisbane because I think like I feel like Brisbane's missing that a little bit in terms or had been up until I you know went to that went to your lunch like had really been missing that whole nose to table like nose to tail sort of mm. thing knowing your farmers really sourcing and supporting local and I think that that's such a cool thing like and I think yeah so where I guess my thing is is like where else are you seeing that happen in little pockets in Brisbane like are you mm. seeing like that it is becoming a big thing in a lot of restaurants and cafes I know like I talk to a lot of places where I go and talk get to know the owners and things like that as well and there's so many people that are doing like little things on little scales which I think mm. is amazing mm. like there so many people are getting into sustainability and composting and you know getting to know their farmers so do you think it's going to become it's definitely, yeah, it is yeah. happening, which is really good. So, so I think exciting. when we first started five years ago, it, it probably just started becoming a little more mm. popular. Yeah. Um, social media and the television so mm -hmm. through, you know, particular television shows made it more, I guess, people have the desire to actually want to find out where things were coming from yeah. as opposed to just consuming it. And it adds to the whole story and it makes it more personal for us like mm. to know that yesterday afternoon I picked up beetroot from, like, the scenic rim and it's in the kitchen today being prepared yeah. to showcase it tomorrow. So you know, nice. it's as fresh as nice. it can be. Uh, you get an understanding of like, you know, the growing conditions and even the market conditions, whether, mm. you know, beetroot, there's not that much of a demand for them at the moment. So, you know, their sales have sort of declined and that's, I guess, in general. So just getting little bits of information like that. So, I mean, if he's not selling as much beetroot, but he's still growing it, then I'm more than happy to try and use more beetroot. And it's only one restaurant, but mm. I mean, if more restaurants can start using beetroot at the moment. Beetroot's one of my favourite things in the world. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty lazy sometimes, but I'll open a tin of beetroot and eat the whole thing. Oh, so, yeah, there's something about yeah. tin beetroot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe it's childhood memories sort yeah. of thing, sort of having them on a, like, you know, a little sort of buffet setup mm. where you get to make your own hamburger and yeah. then sort of load, load the beetroot <laughs> yeah. up. But I can open beetroot at home and if I don't eat it, I'll leave it on the bench and it disappears. I don't even have to put it in the fridge. Yeah. 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 But that's sort of also, I guess, the flavour. If I'm cooking beetroot, I try and get it so, so you know, 
it's well seasoned, it's sort of herbaceous, but mm. then it's got that nice sort of vinegar. So it's mm. reminiscent of what you would get from a tin, but obviously better. Yes, yeah. to use it in a bit of a side note in desserts, much. It's something that beetroot. You know, health oh. space gets used a lot, particularly that chocolate beetroot combination. Yeah, not as much. We do do a really good beetroot brownie, though. Yeah, and yeah. It's yeah, insane nice. the amount of beetroot that goes into it. Yeah. And then when you eat it, you don't really sort of eat it, but you get this really rich, delicious sort of earthiness mm. through, which sort of melds really well with the chocolate but yeah. keeps it really nice and moist mm-hmm. and you can feed it to kids and they just smash it and then <laughs> you show them how much like B2 actually went into that recipe they'd probably surprise them yeah yeah and some desserts as well sort of mm-hmm. like raw cakes mm-hmm. um that sort of thing i mean visually as well like the different colors in oh here. So beautiful wicked gold beetroots at the moment um the target beetroots are insane um mm-hmm. so they come up really good candy mm-hmm. because of the different yeah mm-hmm. so visually appealing so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, features yeah, nice. So I'm interested too because we're just talking about seeing more in this space. Like it is, it is definitely growing, and I think we've we've definitely touched on the difference in taste. Like again, going back to even talking about the beetroots or the strawberries, like there's a notable difference in taste. I know that I've talked to Chris I think time and time again. Herbs, yeah, like, like mm. herbs growing up on a farm, like. The, the fig we had plenty of fruit trees but the fig tree has ruined figs for me forever like i can't buy figs anymore because picked <laughs> from a tree same. dripping yeah. it's not the same so flavor massive but outside of that can you talk about some of the other reasons why it's beneficial to think about buying locally so for, i mean i've got a few rolling around well, in my yeah, head but well, I'm just nutritional deal. value yeah, so the, yeah the less time something travels in transit obviously mm-hmm. the starches and sugars and things are not changing mm-hmm. um they're going to be more vital as well they're going to last longer in the fridges so i mean probably one of the best ways that you could take advantage of people growing food locally is to support your local farmers market yeah. one of my favorites yeah. is the northy street market yeah and a lot of our favorite <laughs> farmers go there and it's the same you can go there in winter and people got like torches on at five o'clock in yeah. the morning and already at the stands like you know getting their veggie fix but yeah that's one of my favorite like yeah it's pretty as well and it's so close to the city so it's accessible oh, it's so to nice. yeah but they're I mean, there's almost an overload of farmers' markets, but then at mm. the same time, I think it's made it more mm. accessible, and mm. so you don't really have any excuse to not be buying local mm-hmm. because it's been picked off, you know, the day before, sometimes that morning even. Um, it's as fresh as it can be, and you'll notice that things like that, your veggies and your fruit and even your herbs and flowers, they last so much longer than anything that you pick up right. from the supermarkets. You actually even though maybe some of these places may be a little bit more expensive, the money goes directly to the farmer. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's keeping money within the local economy. It's not going to some big massive supermarket chain and then to all the shareholders and, you know, the the chief executives that are, you know, I won't even go into that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, but then it means that you're supporting someone that's going to keep doing what they love doing. So a lot of farmers, there's no way that you'd be a farmer unless it wasn't something you're actually really passionate about and, you know, people sort of end up becoming particularly passionate about certain vegetables, mm. so that's something that they'll grow. Um, and it shows with the produce that you get. So, you, mm. I mean, you actually save money because you're ending up buying a product that's going to last long in your fridge if you don't mm. use it immediately, as opposed to buying something that's through the supermarket true. that's going to end up sort of perishing mm. earlier. So you don't actually lose any money. So you're actually better off buying mm. sort of local. But then you get that, yeah. once again, that whole connection. You can talk to the person behind the store. about to say that. The, like, the store, saying, yeah. what have you got that's really good? What you co- what's coming in the season? What would you recommend? I mean, price is one of those things which will sort of give you an idea if something's less expensive. 
then it's in season because exactly. there's a glut of it. So, mm, you yeah. know, it's a good time to take advantage of that because then once again, you're saving money, but you're getting it when it's at its peak growth period. Mm. It's as happy as it can be. It's going to be as healthy as you can get it as well. Mm. Yeah. Growing your own herbs is another one. So, I mean, if you grow your own herbs, if you pick them in the morning, the essential oils are going to be higher. So mm-hmm. you're going to have more flavor and they're going to be more sort of fragrant I didn't know as that. well. That's kind yeah, of so, before. I totally forgot yeah, that. So, yeah. So as a, obviously the plant heats mm. up during the day, it releases oils into the air. Yeah, so if you pick so cool. a herb at the end of the day, yeah. it's been exposed to sunlight, it's transpired, yeah. it's lost mm. essential oils, so it doesn't lose all of them. But mm. yeah, it's going to be more flavorful in the morning if you can pick it. In and the they morning. always look their best when you think yeah. about yeah. two, don't they, first yeah. thing in the morning. Yeah. Nice yeah. and fresh and crisp. Yeah. And then yeah. you can you know, put them in a vase and put them on your kitchen yeah. table sort of thing. Yeah, I had one of the coolest chats with this guy at Northern Street a couple of weeks ago just about avocados. Mm. Like he was literally just selling avocados. But when I lived up at Mount Glorious, there was a specific variety of um, avocados who that would just grow, like not grow in the bush, but they're just all free growing. Yeah. And they're not ones that you can buy in the supermarket. So they're kind of like a cross between a Hass avocado and almost like a Wurtz or yeah. something like that. I forget. So what the, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> some, yeah, it's got some weird name. I asked the guy about it. And yeah, and so I ended up having like this 20-minute chat with him just about avocados. Yeah. And no one was buying because the thing is with these specific avocados is that they are a bit um, more susceptible to like this, like the stingers and stuff mm. like that. So they get so these, a little lump through them. They get the yeah, little ones, but they are like. Remember, I used to bring them in. Yeah, they are like them. butter. Like mm. they shit hands down on any mm. other avocado. Yeah. And so I end up just buying a whole heap of those. But to find someone who was just growing those and have a chat with them, like yeah, made my morning. Yeah. That's so I, cool. yeah. So I think like there's so much in that that people can you know just go and chat to people at the markets and mm. things like that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you grow at home? So have you or do you have time to grow yeah. stuff at no, home? I go through plant stages where. I know, yeah, at the moment, the vegetable gardens are slow. It's a, Veggie gardens are hard work. Yeah, like, they are. It's a full-time job. And I've like. done a complete <laughs> post on the blog about our veggie garden, and I think uh, my clients have this like ideal because I'm so passionate about food and create recipes. They just assume when they see the garden that that's all me, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> my husband is so into it and it's a full-time job like he is like the obviously the watering the soil rotation the plant rotation companion planting like the bugs like trying to naturally deal with aphids and oh my god like just it's full on Mm. so yeah it's not just an easy i I guess that we always encourage people maybe put some herbs in some pots on your balcony like little things like that amazing that you can do do, right but yeah like taking it next level and trying to like have a vegetable garden that you can sustain can sustain yourself with um it's a little bit harder yeah. sometimes <laughs> I, i'd be eating a lot of warrigal greens at the moment so anything yeah. that sells seeds i'm yeah. really happy with um yeah grow everything organically yeah. sort of using permaculture methods uh the garden itself is part of a corridor through the property so oh, we get a lot nice. of wildlife so going backwards and forwards through it particularly yeah. sort of you know in the morning in the afternoon yeah. So lots of birds. So all the seeds that are growing on my weeds get eaten by the birds. I feel like if we could find a way to cultivate cobbler's pegs. (laughs) I've tried eating them. So apparently you can Can eat them like a wild rice. No. So we went out to Stanthorpe a while ago and we stayed on this like vineyard, this property with Alison McLeod. So we were just like out there for the weekend. And there was this one patch that was a neglected sort of part where there was a peach orchard and it's had been let run to ruin. But there was, you know, six foot high cobbler's pegs that you could sort of grab with your hands and get a hole yeah. full of these seeds. 
I've tried to collect them in the past because I read that you can cook them like you would like I'm, the wild rice. Yeah, yeah. And so end up getting like, you know, handfuls <laughs> of this stuff, took it back to this little cottage, cooked it up like you would like wild rice. And uh, it's just like eating splinters. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, how'd you go with that? So Lisa tried it. So if you ever think that it's a good idea, that's probably the one of the only things yeah. I've ever sort of foraged yeah. and thought that might be a good idea. But it wasn't yeah. at the time. I, know, yeah. I used to pick like random things and just be like, I wonder if you can eat this. And then I'd try stuff and then other stuff would be like, no. I remember like one of my epic all-time gardening fails was like, and this is just working. I used to think working against the elements was hard work because sometimes you'd plant everything. You'd do, I'd collect like cow shit and like potash and do all of this amazing stuff but one time I'd like planted everything and it all got this really good growing so I had lettuces and silver bee and herbs and everything and I had a cow literally oh, God. jump my veggie I've never seen a cow with an, a massive udder clear a meter and a half fence like this one did and she just got in there stomped everything ripped everything out and then by the time I got in there just cleared this fence and jumped back out and I just sat there like this deflated mess <laughs> went, went and got a beer and just sat in my garden and nearly cried I think. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a couple of horses do that. Yeah. Horses, on horses place, are so. shits of animals. Yeah. What do you do <laughs> for pests out of interest? Like in regards to, I'm just thinking, yeah, aphids or um, just caterpillars and so forth. Oh, like, do you nothing. Have, yeah, that's the yeah, whole thing. It's like, yeah. Just the, find the like, birds, take care of yeah, that. Well, yeah, sort of with the veggie garden, I go through stages where I leave farms all the time and we use people at the moment, say, as an example, loop growers. They're out in the Sanford Valley. Mm -hmm. They take all our green resources. So once a week, I'd drop off all the, you know, what used to be scraps, mm -hmm. but it's, they name it green resources. So we've got different bins through the kitchen now. So there's a citrus bu bucket. We keep all the coffee grinds and then everything else goes in the leafy green section. So yep. they then compost it using worms. Then that all gets put onto the, the ground that they've, you know, um, irrigated or cropping sort of on. Mm -hmm. And then we buy the vegetables that have grown in that compost mm -hmm. and then use it back at the restaurant. So it's like the closed loop. Which is really cool. And then I get to visit the farm once a week as well, which is pretty cool. So you get to see mm -hmm. stuff that's growing. Mm -hmm. This time of the year is particularly wicked for veggies as well. So, you know, it's perfect for southeast Queensland. Um, but uh, so, no, so you easily get distracted and just think about this farm. Oh, yeah, so I get home and I think, oh, like, I should have it all neat and proper. And, you know, those guys are you know, always spending time on their farm. So I go through stages where I get back to there's no weeds and there's mm. immaculate and I've mm. got everything sort of growing really well. But then it gets busy and end up leaving it and all the weeds take over. But sort of, there's heaps of stuff that I can still use in the veggie garden. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to pest management, yeah, just leave it to the wildlife. So yep. the birds yep. go through, the caterpillars. Mm -hmm. um, they don't damage any of the plants. By having companion planting mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like let them go to flower, you're obviously attracting beneficial insects. Yep. Yep. So if you have bad insects like aphids that come along, mm -hmm. if you haven't sprayed, then you've got your, you know, your predatory insects as well. So. Mm -hmm everything from dragonflies to, you know, different wasps and mm. bees and or not bees, but yeah, other insects that are coming, will come along and eat. So there's an outbreak of aphids. Then there's like, you know, mm. you've got your little insect army ready to sort of like attack them. <laughs> mm. But then that's good because then they sort of like, yeah, it's about, it's it's about balance. It? Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. Like you've just pretty much established an environment or a miniature ecosystem that looks mm. after itself. And then that's good because for me, it's less labor. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to worry about things like we're all organic at work as well, so no spray, we don't spray anything. Mm -hmm. If something does get attacked, then you can potentially even leave it as a sacrificial crop. So we've in the past let mm -hmm. all the you know brassicas go to flower and then they sort of get to the end of their sort of season, but they'll attract because they're starting to break down aphids and mm -hmm. other sort of insects that'll come mm -hmm. along like the cabbage moss and stuff like that. But by leaving that, then 
all the insects, the bad insects, go to those mm. sort of particular vegetables, and you'll find that the rest of the whole garden is a macula and yeah, nothing's just sort of been bitten. So. I think that's what happened with our crop. This is like a good six months or so ago, but our well, actually, it's probably longer because our kale at the time was doing like mm. a phenomenal. And right next to the kale, we had a whole load of fennel, yeah. and the fennel, like, we just were letting it do its thing. And then my husband Damien realised that the fennel was just riddled with aphids. And when he did pull up one of them, the, the bulbs on the bottom were just negligible. So he was just like, "Oh, I'll just pull them out." And then within a few days, went out to the kale, and it's just like they'd gone to yeah. the kale. Whereas if he had have just left, should have yeah. left sacrificial fennel. I know, yeah. should have left the sacrificial yeah. fennel, which I think obviously in hindsight we definitely yeah. learned mm. because we the kale was just amazing. And then suddenly it was like, it was almost an infestation. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was, big, well, there was a few different reasons, I think, in hindsight as to why. But yeah, yeah. interesting you talking about Were that. Were we Googling if we, you could eat aphids? Yeah, we did. Because we were just sort of accidentally ate them, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think I accidentally <laughs> did because I was growing some parsley. No, I got some parsley from my dad's place. Yeah. So now I go back to dad's, he's just got this amazing like herbs, chilies, spring onions, everything. And he's just always palming stuff off to me because he can't use it quick enough. And I'm like, yep, no worries. But he gave me this big bunch of parsley. Hey, and I showed it to Jess and she's like, they're aphids. That's what we have growing at home. And I'm like, well, I've just eaten a crap ton of them what happens when we ingest these things nothing protein yeah it's good for yeah ladybugs as well yeah okay you feel like yeah aphids and you're Mm. probably going to have good supply of so yeah speaking just to kind of go back to one of the other things Mm. we're talking about just kind of (laughs) big segue but the yeah protein aphids i'm thinking about nutrition again so when we're picking things as fresh as possible. I, I always think it's interesting when you look at studies, they'll look at just basic vitamins and minerals and be like, there's no difference between, you know, something that you've grown in a mass commercial area as opposed to something organic. But where the amazing changes come in is when we look at phytochemicals, antioxidant status. Like you just, it's it's so profound the difference between allowing something just to grow to full fruition without any disruption of chemicals uh, and being picked fresh on the day. So um, from a nutritional standpoint, like I think you just can't do better than that beautiful fresh produce. The other thing though, when I think about um, your area and supporting the farmer and supporting local is about our actual footprint and I guess again, sustainability. So I know down in Melbourne there's some people doing this and um, the ones that come to mind that Chris and I have talked about being a little bit obsessed with is Matt and Lentil, I don't even know the last names, but they do the cookbooks Grown and Gathered mm-hmm. and they do a lot of produce that supports all of the um, restaurants in Melbourne. But what they talk a lot about is, yeah, is our actual footprint and by you just going to like one to two hours away at the most, there's less um demand on everything from as far as like the petrol to run the car down to wherever that place is um do you know what i mean like that actual economic footprint as well is that something that you think about in that space well, yeah you really? do every now and then but yeah. i mean that's the thing is if you're practicing by a local then that's obviously all the things that you just mentioned are things yeah. that you're reducing so you re- there's like transport time so that the vegetables aren't being exposed to changes in temperature so yeah. they're going to be healthier um yeah. in better condition as well mm. uh yeah the cost of fuel uh, yeah. even down to you know the transport on the road and you know the, the roads becoming worn so mm. uh yeah it, you think of it every now and then but i think it's one of those things that you know by what we're doing anyway that's is 
yeah. helping with all that. So For yeah, sure. so yeah, definitely. It's interesting space i know they even talk about it because you were saying you don't get um pretty much anything overseas like it's all like local or australian grown and i know they they're heavily into the same um same mm. sort of logic of thinking and um very much even in their own life like they won't use certain things in high amounts because they know that that's only coming from overseas like just yeah. trying again to reduce that footprint but mm. um i guess i bring it up because it's another reason why people might step into this space and yeah. then i think about like how do people take what we're talking about and bring it into their everyday life so we're talking what you're talking about yeah. is on a um a restaurant level um but you can do exactly the same thing yeah you know? so, so things like yeah, yeah straws so you get bamboo straws yeah. or steel straws uh Things like our napkins, we used to use white dinner napkins because they look cool, um, but mm. they're still disposable. Mm. Um, so now we use the, like non-bleach, so sort of browning colour, but I like that. Anyway, so it's a bit more organic. But yeah, yeah like to know that you haven't over-processed, you know, the paper that's turned into a napkin is sort of one of those things as well. Yeah. So there's heaps of different ways I think that you can be sort of aware and making a difference. Just and it makes you feel good anyway. I think to buy, you know, mm -hmm. just all those little things that you can start making sort of change to. So, I guess whether or not you get inspiration through, whether it be sort of Facebook or Instagram or just seeing what people are doing, there's like there is a much sort of more emphasis and the limelight's been sort of shown on you know waste in particular. Mm -hmm. So, it, I guess if you ever see or hear anything, sort of always like listen. It's I guess one of those things almost like with in a kitchen. Any kitchen you go into, you should better always like leave with a good idea that you can take and then use your in your own place. So the same with when it comes to like managing resources or you know purchases that you make. There's different ways and ease. I guess with modern technology, is way you know ways that you could be helping yourself, but easier than ever before. So it's not really an excuse to not be doing it. Really, yeah. like mm. yeah, it's as easy as like you know people send you messages on Instagram rather than sort of googling it, and it's like oh, why didn't you just like instead of Send me the direct <laughs> message. Not that I worry, but yeah, you could have Googled it and it would have come up with all the answers. It'd be like you know, encyclopedias worth of like yeah. this information rather than me being able to send you like a one sentence answer or yeah. sort of go into out details. Yeah, yeah, like, I'll just quickly stop and send you thing. But yeah, I mean, even, our Instagram's walk and our eat. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a look at that, there's things like, I mean, it'll show you a picture of my veggie garden compared mm -hmm. to the one at work. So, I did it, it was almost one of those before and after pictures. So, mm -hmm. The wild canary garden, it looks like it's been filtered, it hasn't. It's just insane. Wow. It was taken, the picture was taken in the morning. And so that was the Instagram one where it's all neat and tidy and fluorescent green cabbages and lettuces and all this, the herbs wow. and stuff. And then mine's reality where it's like, yeah, all these weeds, but you can still see there's all this stuff that you can eat and it doesn't look as vibrant, but it's healthy. So yeah, yeah each to their own. And like, you know, I've had the time, I'd like it looking like the one at Wild Canary, but at the same it's time, like- It's a full time job. Yeah, it is, it's pretty hard. So yeah, I can still go out there and whip up a meal, yeah. which is cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the other thing is, yeah, it's supporting the local ecosystem as well yeah. by having all those like exactly. insects and extra places that birds can be eating. And yeah carrying away nesting material mm. and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just what I wanted to highlight, which you've just definitely shown, is that how people can start to take these um, areas that we're talking about and bring them into everyday mm. life, like whether that be, as you said, composting, thinking about what straws they're using, napkins, um, paper towels. They'd be like, <laughs> I know I know, kitchens use them more, but they're like at home for me, they're just like, we don't have paper towels in this house. People always, or tissues, people always come to our house, got a tissue, got a paper towel. Yeah. No, well, use a like yeah. cloth. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> they'll, go to, they'll go to the um, toilet and yeah. get toilet paper instead. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, you know, I think there's there's multiple ways that we can take this into everyday life, and I'm really passionate about that because I think as a society we tend to have this like, oh, one person doesn't make a difference. Like if I just do that, it's something, mm. you know, it, every person that makes a change in some way is helping. So if you think about you know, whether it's you take your own bags, the supermarket, which we have to do now anyway, yeah. um, but whether it's that or you, I know even at my local market that I go to because I can't always get to the North, Northly Street ones as much as I would bloody love to. Yeah, no, um, they, um, they have spray free, but some of their products, like they'll have rocket or spinach, um, sort of leafy greens and they've, being bought in and then they've packed them into a plastic sealable bag and I just stand there just going what the f <laughs> like and I'll, I'm one of those annoying people I like undo it and I'll grab my own bag and tip it into my own bag but to me that's making a difference and it might be just one person that does that but I'm like well I'm not doing it maybe someone else will see that I'm doing mm. that and then maybe they'll cotton on and see that people don't want plastic so I just think it's really important to think about that we can all make a difference mm. and it sounds a bit hippie woo woo but i just think it's really important oh definitely yeah, yeah. well if it makes you feel good that's a good thing yeah good reason to do it in the first place but even things like we we're talking about the lake of mushrooms before yeah but in the past if it was to order any of those mushrooms they'd come through the market they'd be in a non-disposable you know cling wrapped one of those little butcher's trays mm. the styrofoam yeah. trays and then you'd throw that in the bin so yeah. it's a you know, single use in the bin and it's gone to landfill so mm. at the moment we use They've got paper that you know breaks down. The cardboard boxes we reuse, mm. so we use the boxes as many times as we can. Um, so we're saving all that packaging. There's less handling as well, so yeah. like the labour involved in that. And then yeah, at the end of the day, the boxes will break down, so they're cost yeah. compostable as well. So yeah, there's heaps of ways that you could be looking at. And I think like what we're talking about, if you have an idea of any way that you could potentially even just a thought. Of, and I, you know what you could be doing to make a difference within your own household, Google it. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's as simple mm -hmm. as like it take you thirty seconds, and you could have your answer straight away. Yeah. And then if it's something that seems just, like it's just, attainable, um, message Glenn on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He prefers if you can do it in a breakfast <laughs> shift. Uh, I'd be like my post maybe, but anyway, yeah. But it, it, it's, I mean, we use it as a way of just showcasing. Like when we first set the business up five years ago, I like photography as well, so it was one of those things. Like mm -hmm. I'm at the coalface, um, someone had to do Instagram, and I went, "Well, I'll do it." it was, just taking a picture and putting it up in the coal face or in the garden or mm. you know in the kitchen baking something. So I go crazy with the cakes and I like the edible Your flowers. Your cakes are phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, have yeah. you seen the cake? I need to check them out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean all the guys at work do a really good job of it. Yeah. I think in in the past we struggled to get people that could do sort of what I was doing, but we've got mm. a wicked team on board at the moment. And I was actually went to a wetlands festival up at St Lawrence just recently, and then had a, I think about five days off doing intensive labour at home. And uh, I came back, and the cabinet looked exactly the same as if I was there. Mm, so yeah, so it's good to see all the guys have sort of you know get inspired by the garden, and you mm. know using what we use produce-wise as well, and able to you know replicate what mm. is basically a standard recipe. But yeah. they've all got. I think that's the other thing. If you well, we were talking about you know jobs as well, so one thing through following or becoming a chef was it was something that was a hobby. So by doing it as a hobby, then. 
you know, it's one of those things I've pursued it as a career. Like, mm-hmm. I actually, I don't feel that I've actually worked a day in my life. So, so good. <laughs> yeah, I've been booking almost 30 years. So, speaking to not have worked for 30 years, even yep. though the hours are pretty long through yeah. some restaurants, but we've got good hours. So, it's a lot of what we do now, with the focus is on, like, just people's well-being within the kitchen and the front of house as well. So, you yeah. know, if people are happy in the kitchen, then they're going to be healthier Absolutely. as well. We're doing better hours and, you know, you've got the chance to be more sociable outside. So we're not, we don't do, in the old days, we do 12 to 16 hour mm-hmm. days. So we do maybe an eight to, if we've got an event on, we might stick around a little bit longer, but we don't mind that. So it's yeah, good to uh-huh. sort of put the extra hours in if it's something you like doing anyway, you yep. don't really notice it. So, yeah, um, yeah, it w- works awesome. And with that, we've noticed we never have anyone that's sick as well. Mm-hmm. And I've said that to the guys, like most, a lot of places, mm-hmm. particularly like hotels, not putting any institutions out or anything but there's people that I guess they're happy well I don't know whether they would be happy because they're just doing things as a job mm. and you know there's always apprenticeships and there's positions mm. available for people to be cooking but you know to have it as something that you're excited about and you constantly you know feel energetic mm-hmm. is better for your immune system so like I said no we, we have access to the kitchen garden so guys are always going out they're getting out of the kitchen um, they exposed to the elements. They get to mm-hmm. use like really wicked veggies and herbs yeah. and stuff like that, and the flowers. Um, but oh mental God. health reasons as well. So it's true, if you're though. healthy mentally, so then good. that helps you like physically as well. Yeah, so definitely. And because people, that's my belief is that because they actually enjoy coming to work and we have a good time as a team, and we mm. back each other up. That mm. there's no one has mm. that a breakdown in your immune system. Because we're always happy. So I you think can if you're see happy, that when you come into your like into Wild Canary, though. Like obviously, because I've worked in hospitality for like fifteen years before doing this, and I think I did a post one time just about cafes. And you can tell when you walk into a restaurant or a cafe straight away the vibe, like the front of house. You can mm. tell what's going on behind the scenes mm. with the kitchen. Like yeah. I've worked with so many like chefs and mm-hmm. run so much front of house and restaurants and stuff. Like I can, you can walk into a place and pick up whether or not it's functioning well. Like shit hits the fan in hospitality all the time. We know that, but you know, it's just like the dynamic. It's how you deal with it. It's how yeah. you deal yeah. with it. And yeah. it's just like you can tell when you walk into Wild Canary and I've got a few other little favourites around Brisbane that, you know, like the staff are happy and they're mm. so accommodating and you guys are under the freaking pump but it just works. Mm. So that's mm-hmm. a that's a big plus in a hospitality environment, especially a busy one. Like that's, yeah. yeah, and that's a lot to do with, yeah, how everyone feels, the energy in the place, whether or not they like coming to work and it's yeah. a pretty big thing to accomplish as well, I think, mm. too. Because a lot of people, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, it is. It's, it's like massive. Your, your vibe attracts your drive. So 100%. I think that's what we've got there is like a group of people that are really passionate. Mm. Whether it's not because we've had that energy there that they've been mm. attracted to it, mm. but then it's rubbed off on them as well. But they already had it. Um, but we've got yeah, really good relationship with the front of house staff. Mm. Um, we've actually got a girl that's came in for a trial yesterday, and her sister works there, and they're twins. And they sort of gave her a rundown. I went up to her and just said, "Look, yeah, this." say yes to anything the customer asks. I think it's one of those things, particularly in a restaurant, where you, you know, a waitress will go, oh, just go and ask the chef, and then mm-hmm. they disappear, and then they go and talk to the chef in the middle of the service, and then they come back, and they go, oh, the chef said this, we could do that. So I think it's like, just say yes. If there's any problem with what you've said yes to, then we can communicate that back to you, but it saves you leaving the table. You've made the mm-hmm. guests instantly happy by just saying yes to whatever their sort of request was, mm. whether it's like just a personal thing or a dietary request. Mm. Um, we can accommodate it. Mm. There's so many, particularly these days with 
different health issues or people's preferences mm. that, you know, 10 years ago, it'd be like, oh, bloody vegetarians yeah. and oh, gluten-free people and there's like <laughs> all this sort of stuff. And um, these days, because it's become, I guess, the more norm. prevalent yeah. Um, yeah, and normal for whatever reasons, then, yeah, it's one of those things that we do make sure that if we do a waffle special or there's fritters that we'll use a gluten-free flour to mm. alleviate that sort of like people not being able to have it. So Very we're sort right. of opening it up to more dietary accessibility through, yeah. you know, and it's just one of those things. It's pretty easy to do mm. through just even experimenting with different like gluten-free flours that you, mm. you can get on the market. You can mm. find there are really good ones out there. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And there's really terrible ones as well. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if you had an experience where you haven't been happy with it, try a different brand when it comes yep. to gluten-free things um, yep. with the flours that mm. you're using at home. And you'll find one that works for you. So, mm -hmm. and then you can stick with that. So, yeah, yeah even dairy free. There's all the different you know milks that you can substitute mm -hmm. it with these days. So, so. you guys are doing that. Mm. Well, well, it makes even... it easier, I think. At the end of the day, yeah. it, it means that the customer doesn't have to think about it as much. Yeah. The floor staff can go. Yes, these three cakes in the cabinet are gluten free and nut free. Yeah. And yeah, so it's not sort of like mm. making certain sort of dietary requirements or requests or, you know, health issues is sort of mm. isolated or, you know, not being able to enjoy the full menu. So you pretty yeah, much, you know, usually what happened, like I, someone, myself who's GF and DF, I don't know how many times, like it's getting better and better and better, <laughs> but like you go out to, particularly if you want to go to a, like a fine dining restaurant, yeah. actually it's not even fine dining, just, but you go out and you want to enjoy your meal and particularly I think when it does come to something like dessert, and you want to be, and it's like, okay, what can sort of work for me here? I don't know how many times I've been told, oh, well, we can um, give you some sorbet yeah. <laughs> or, a, or a fruit platter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, come on, like, surely we can think a little bit outside the box. Like, yeah. you know, someone as yourself has got all these skills and what you're talking about, like an understanding produce. It's just like, okay, if we're using cream or butter traditionally in this dish like how can we think about how that can be used in a different way um or sorry a different type of ingredient to give that finish instead of it being that cow milk based product what else could i use and mm. it sounds like you guys are really experimenting pretty yeah. hardcore in that space i know carissa was raving about the the produce dinner with the the camel products <laughs> the of camel course. ice yeah. cream i'm like yeah. this is the best ice yeah. cream i've ever eaten it is pretty good <laughs> yeah. yeah that's got a light refreshing yogurt sort of flavor yeah. there's no sort of you can't go that's from yeah. a camel it's not sort of like you know pungent sort of like yeah. goat milk. it's got um, I guess because of the molecules as well, it's, mm -hmm. you know, if you're lactose intolerant, you can actually mm -hmm. eat camel milk or drink camel milk. Mm. Um, so with the dessert tomorrow night, we're doing a camel milk custard. So it's Ooh. like lactose free or, you know, yep. you can eat it if you're lactose intolerant. Yep. We've got the camel milk ice cream as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're talking about the crumble topping this morning. So mm -hmm. we're just going through like the list of things that need to be done in preparation for tomorrow night's dinner. As like, let's just make the, the crumble topping gluten-free as well. Mm. But then one mm. of the comments was from one of the other chefs was, if you do that, then you're not going to have the rolled oats mm. through the crumble topping. And that mm, yep. adds a nice texture and there's also flavour in that as well. Mm. So we're going to do two crumble toppings. One's yep. going to be gluten-free yep. and we'll have it there for people that are gluten intolerant. But then yep. we'll also have the, the mm. proper one, which has got the rolled oats in it. So, yep. you know, you get that texture and the flavour from the oats as well. So yep. whilst it's slightly more labour-intensive, there's definitely these days more thought goes into yeah, the preparation of the food so that mm. everyone sort of benefits from that thought process so we, we haven't taken the oats out of it now which is good because yeah yeah it is a nice textural element yeah. but at the same time like 
you know, maybe there's a slightly more labour, but it's, mm. you know, it makes us feel good to be able to just Definitely. go, yeah, everything on this menu is yeah. like either gluten-free or, or here's easily, the little things that yeah. we can easily change. Right. And that's with our menu in general. Uh, when we first started, we did like heavy plant-based and people sort of going, oh, I don't know, it'd be nice if it had more protein. So mm-hmm. we still, it's heavily plant-based and we, you know, design the menu around what fruit and veggies are in season. The protein's more accessible, like, you know, all the year round. So we just sort of add things to that. But It'll still be, you know, so easy to turn a dish. It's either vegetarian to begin with, or mm-hmm. we can turn it into a vegan meal, mm-hmm. and it still have all the same mm-hmm. flavors and yeah, essentially awesome. the same elements, just without a protein as mm-hmm. such. Mm-hmm. Or we've got good things that we can substitute it with as well. Yeah, I yep. think because the last one, so not the um, scenic rim one that you guys did. What was the last one that you did? The producers' dinner it was on a Friday night. Was it? Was it Byron? It was Byron because that was that's a yeah, really good oh, that so yeah, cool. their markets. Oh. They've got yeah. markets on pretty much every day of the week. So um, yeah, a, if you head down mm. that way, and yeah, they're all small scale mm. farmers as well. Everyone's sort of back into regenerative farming, yep. looking after the land as much as they can. Um, yeah, organic or spray mm-hmm. free as well. That was um, very plant-based, that menu that you guys did. Yeah, there. She's a yeah, lot of toast and a lot of miso. Yeah, and... they, oh, that was one we thought you were going to die. Oh, I have oh, this... What do you mean? <laughs> Not a... <laughs> So tell me what happened. No, no, no. So up until that night, like I've had this thing, hey, like, so I have had like miso, um, tofu, tempeh Mm. over the years. So I probably stopped trying to eat it about 10 years ago because I would get like this anaphylactic reaction. Like I've only... From the soy, from the soy of any product, like so, I would have it out. The worst reaction I ever had was um, edamame beans to the Mm. point where, like, it was such a reaction, like heart racing, red face, like throat, tongue, everything, like closing. I had to walk out of a restaurant, and so I've pretty much just given up on it. And then slowly, like over years, I've dabbled. Just watch me cop a dose of, um, I think it was tofu or something, a meal that I was eating once. And same thing, like my eyes just glaze over, like it's just, it's a really intense reaction. Anyway. Bought the dinners, bought the tickets to this producer's dinner thing, and then I looked at the menu after once you guys, yeah. and I just said to Michelle, our receptionist who came with me, I'm like, I'm gonna eat everything that comes out. If I fucking die, <laughs> or I come close to it, just carry me out of the restaurant, don't make a scene, and call an ambulance. But I'm gonna give this a crack anyway. So I ate the entire thing, and obviously, like, I knew that there was like miso toast, and I was completely fine. Michelle kept looking, and she's like, "You're right." I'm like, fine obviously I was having a bit of wine and I'm like there's sulfites in the wine I'm usually a bit sensitive to that is there going to be a crossing I completely got through the whole night and I was like this is a game changer (laughs) so anyway so I hit I think I hit April up afterwards and I was like what is it about the tofu and um, miso and stuff and she's like obviously the person that makes it uses this you know really um, you know, old school fermentation mm. method and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, so then that got me thinking and I'm like, have I just always eaten really crap quality, like eating it out at restaurants where it's mass produced, probably ordered in from God knows where, GMO, spray, whatever, and maybe it's not like tofu or miso that I've had the issue with, it's an additive or mm. something like that. So this night was actually a catalyst for me. So since then... So you didn't I, die. I didn't just, die, yeah, Glenn. Well, there you go. Well, you made it sound like you did. I could have. No, she was a little concerned, going. So I think the tempo 
it was like chickpea tempeh. So chickpea oh, and, so and wakame. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. the wakame, you get the nutritional benefits yeah. from that and the umami <laughs> flavour as well. So it's really oh, wicked tasty. So um, but so chickpea. Good. So, yeah, there's different ways that you can be eating all that sort well, of stuff. Well, anyways. Like, you just obviously have to either read the label or talk to the producer that would be at the farmer's well, market so, if you would buy it. Yeah, them. well, that's exactly right. But I've been so scared. But then since then, I've, like, pushed it mm. to the point where then I went for a whole week or I didn't eat meat and I literally lived on tofu and tempeh. I just bought really good quality stuff from mm. the markets and I didn't die. Is after the yeah. luncheon? After the yeah, luncheon, yeah. yeah. We, we did a luncheon recently and we had a lot of tofu and, and tempeh that was yeah. in that just to show people how to use it as a produce. And yeah. then Krista was a little bit, oh, I don't know, but she had a lot of leftovers. So, so I just she was it. getting into that and then realising, oh, my God, I'm, I'm still not, fine. I'm, I'm not dying. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Although so we had, that was, there was, to, there was tofu, organic yeah. tofu, but that was a chickpea. There was a chickpea tempeh. and a normal tempeh. Oh, I think I might have that. You know the adzuki? Have you seen the adzuki bean tempeh that's kicking around? No. It's an organic, <laughs> organic village brand. Okay. I don't know actually where. I don't know if it's a Byron product, but they do a couple of different ones. Mm. But they we had it last night, the adzuki and buckwheat mm. tempeh. Oh, my God, so good. Just really thin. And we, I tossed in lots of olive oil and this... Um, um, Worcestershire from cans that my sister bought me from the local market up there. Mm. Just the two of those together and then baked it in the oven till it was crispy. Oh my God, and we had it in wraps with homemade mayo and oh, it was delicious. Yeah, yeah so recommend good. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so good. I wanted to sort of kind of start to finish up by asking you, speaking of food, from a local point of view, like anything outside the box that you're doing, whether it's in the, the, the restaurant or whether it's just at home. Because um, I, I love to, and I know Carissa and all of the nutritionists here are the same, we love to get people thinking outside the box and using produce in different ways. So even the first thing that comes to my mind at the moment is only because it's in our garden at the moment is that nasturtion's going crazy. Mm. And I love using nasturtion in a salad or using it as a um, base of a pesto. But are there things that... Yeah, you're you're doing that um, might be a little bit outside the box, but people go, oh, I didn't think about using that ingredient in that way. Well, you mentioned the pesto because yeah, the sessions are going crazy. The yeah, it's a good time of the year for them. So. Yeah. I made radish leaf pesto the other day for anyone who doesn't know what the hell to do with radish leaves. Yeah. Like there was just, a, it was so... <laughs> yum, yum. Yeah, well obviously it may have, depending hey. on the radish, like if it's a mature radish and leaf was old, then No, 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 they're like, little baby yeah, ones. So you have to yeah. say that. So yeah, <laughs> the bigger the leaf, yeah, the bigger the leaf. I'm bringing you something and I'm going to make you good. taste it and you will like it. <laughs> promises made. But... A bigger leaf is going to be more bitter when it comes to a vegetable like that. Yeah. So if it's a small leaf, then it's going to be more tender. Yeah. So, I mean, guess that could be one thing. Just big things when they're smaller. Like, well, yes. the other thing is, if you go to a market, um, <laughs> <You're like yellow>. <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy, buy a different vegetable that you wouldn't normally use. Yeah. So, I mean, with the small-scale growers, they'll be experimenting with different crops okay. that would be potentially like grow under conditions within southeast Queensland. So things like English spinach, you could try growing that at home and mm -hmm. you know, you may struggle with it, mm -hmm. particularly during, you know, the warm up times of the year. But there's all these tropical spinaches and leafy greens that grow really well within, you know, the humid and hot and warm conditions mm -hmm. that'll grow almost all year round. They can use as a spinach substitute mm -hmm. and you know, that's a w one way, I guess, that you can sort of be changing the way you eat, but also, you know, things that grow easier so it's not as labour intensive. It enjoys, you know, the subtropics that we have throughout southeast Queensland. But, I mean, a good, I mean, that's one thing that we like about having the veggie garden out the front is that I guess it's to provide inspiration for people that come to the restaurant. So you come into the nursery and then you walk past the gardens 
and then you know have a look at it before or after i mean mm. we, we've had dishes where um, like panzanella salad if you ordered it we'd go out and pick the basil fill for that salad as you ordered it so uh-huh. in a lunch you might end up running out only maybe eight or ten times uh-huh. but uh-huh. carrying that basil back through the restaurant you've got all the essential oils coming from that so you can uh-huh. smell it so it's you uh-huh. know really yeah. you know, quite pungent but it stimulates your mind it gets your senses going it's as fresh as it can be um and things like basil so your sweet basil at the will grow really well certain times of year but then there's others mm-hmm. you know perennial basils that'll grow you know, all year round they have very similar flavors there's like um holy basil like a cinnamon basil so it's got obviously that a little bit spicier but it still mm-hmm. has that base flavor of a basil so yep. um the garden can showcase what you could be growing without within southeast mm. queensland so i mean even just have a look around your neighborhood to a certain extent you can see mm-hmm. what's growing really well within the area if something does grow well then you know there's no reason that you can't be growing it yourself mm-hmm. yeah yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Great. Exciting. Anything that you wanted to mention before we finished up? Anything that we haven't cut? I know there's lots of different things, I'm sure, but yeah, anything in particular? Or obviously, we've, we've touched on these the produce dinners, and there's one literally. Yeah, is, it all, is it all sold out? The one that's. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this one, we've had really good response to any of the dinners or lunches that we yeah. do, which is really nice to see yeah. people embracing that. In the beginning, it was sort of like a bit of a push, and you get to almost like the, the day of the event. And Oh, come on we sort of like another 10 15 seats left but mm-hmm. um yeah these days they tend to sell out almost straight away which yep. is good so it's a good sign that mm. people are interested in and that's the whole thing with like we're talking about you know the with these television shows and things like that is hopefully it is as much as some of those shows drive me insane um <laughs> hopefully it does give people that sort of like that mm. you know, i want to know where my veggies are coming from i want to go out and you know experience the, the sights and the smells and mm. there are you know different farm tours that you can sort of be looking at going on board. Um, there's different farms that you can be ordering veggie boxes through that, you know, within like a two hour radius of Brisbane itself, but deliver once or mm. twice a week to the city. So you could be ordering boxes. Um, people like Food Connect, you know, they do boxes as well. So there's heaps of little ways that you could be making a difference within your own home, but then that difference sort of, I guess, you know, trans buyers into the local community into what people are doing around the place mm. and that's like yeah if you buy a different bed so you wouldn't normally see potentially more people are going to be buying it so mm. um and if you know how to use it or even if you experiment with it and you go oh that's really cool it was like a kohlrabi so kohlrabi i guess mm. is an example of vegetables that mm. a lot of people wouldn't know how to use yeah. but if you prepare it you can cut them into quarters roast them they mm. come out really good they tend to absorb a lot of flavors so you could roast them like in you know either a fragrance oil or with spices or with herbs. Um, it's got really good texture as well. So if you put it through a coleslaw and mm-hmm. sort of run yeah, it over mandolin or grate it, yeah, you get like a nice crunch. So I'll actually mm-hmm. say there, even if you put your mayonnaise or an aioli or yeah. dressing over it, you sort of get you know, mm-hmm. it's good texturally. But then you also haven't done that much to it. Mm-hmm. What you've done is grate it. So it hasn't been damaged by yeah. heat. Um, so you're still retaining all the nutritional benefits. So I guess, I mean, essentially just eat things without doing as much to them as possible. So sometimes it feels like we're cheating almost at work because the produce <laughs> is that good that you don't have to do anything yeah. to it. You might get a tomato and cut it into wedges and yeah. put it on the plate oh, and we'll go yeah. late next to a pumpkin souffle. And then we've got fennel that's been grown like a an hour away from the restaurant. We might just microplane it over like, or not microplane it, but shave it over mandolin, yeah. put a little bit of fresh lemon juice and zest on it and that's mm-hmm. it. So, you know, that'll get dropped over the tomatoes and then Olives, are, well, the olives come from like a grove organically grown about three hours away, but their olives are just insane. Mm. So they do a smoked Where's olive as well. 
Gormunda. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where that is. Yeah. yeah, it's out near, there's a dam called Munda Dam and Bleak. Okay. Yeah, so it's <laughs> out west, it's past yeah, the Womba yeah. Way, but yeah, yeah, oh, okay, yeah okay. They're, they're really wicked, there, Olives. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had Olives out at some Stanthorpe area that were quite nice. Yeah, yeah, they were quite nice. Potentially it was theirs. But, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, so by just doing as little as possible to the food, yeah. you obviously, one, less labour, Two, it's as fresh as it can be. You haven't damaged it. But tomatoes, mm. I guess, is one of those things that actually... Oh, the, the this is look at us. We yeah, just get so, so excited. Yeah. <laughs> the health benefits are actually magnified or but amplified by heating tomatoes up. Tomatoes. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like salt and olive oil and yeah. pepper and I'm done. Keep it basic. Just yeah, get all the like a Yeah, going talking about olive oil, oil, I guess. Yeah, that's one of the things recently was... <laughs> freaks about um, olive oil as well. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than making dressings all the time, you can have a really good bottle of an extra virgin olive oil mm-hmm. and a really good bottle of a, like, a nice vinegar, whether it be like Lyra, something mm-hmm. local, mm-hmm. Um, and that's your dressing. So yeah. it's a drizzle of olive oil, a dress a drizzle of the, the vinegar. What olive oil do you use out of interest? Gormanda. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we just say, yeah. we always just go, what olive oil you've got? And they'll say, yeah. oh, these particular mm-hmm. olives are coming through, so yeah. we've done like, yeah, an extraction and it's particularly good and they give us a flavour mm-hmm. profile. and. We never sort of go, no, I don't want that because you've said it's too peppery. It'll be like yeah, yeah. if that's the oil that you have at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, a reflection of the mm-hmm. seasonality and the variety of the olive as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the more, I guess, with things like olive oil and vinegar, the more money you spend on them, the better the product. Mm-hmm. Um, Is the company you just said with the vinegars then, how do you say that? that? Do they do, because I think I bought some of their reductions. They mm. do it, they do like ginger reductions, balsamic reductions. Yeah, yeah their mm. stuff is next level. They're pretty insane. They're and they insane. Actually, yeah. They do a lot of small batch stuff for yeah, okay. smaller people, like you know, farms and okay, businesses yeah. as well. So it's all made but without their labelling on it, mm, but it's made mm-hmm. by the same people with yeah, the right. expertise that they have and the equipment. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they do a really, really good job. Yeah, they do, actually. Thing. I've always got a bottle of theirs. Like, I came across it. I was at a... I can't remember how I came across their stuff, but I was at a salad door place somewhere and it was just there. It might have been in Valentine. It was somewhere where I was. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the brand just stuck with me because I just bought, it was a, I think it was a caramel balsamic or a sticky balsamic or just something really basic. But since then I've come across a couple of their other flavors. Like I've got a ginger one at home at the moment and it kind of reminds me of um, Stone's ginger wine a little yep. bit. Ah. And it's, but it's so cool. Like when you just mix it in with things and anyway, mm. but yeah, I don't nice. know how to say the name. Yeah. So now I know. <laughs> Well, we might wrap it up. I can't believe, yeah, we've been See? chatting away for an hour. It doesn't take yeah. long. Even no, though I actually want to just keep <laughs> chatting. I've got more questions. Yeah, I have to, like, keep going get you off the other side of the... I haven't got anywhere to be at the moment. I actually, I was going to do our summary, which I'll do in a minute, but I do have a question that I want to ask you, which is more personal for me. All your years as a chef, you were just saying, like, you love what you do, you haven't obviously um, lost your passion, you feel like you're not, you know, you go to work, but it's not work. So you've never, I'm about to embark on a whole new sort of step, which is going to be going down to Victoria, and my husband and I are going to open a, a cafe down there. And one of my biggest fears of that is that as someone who's so passionate about food and loves preparing food, and making food and having dinner parties and all those sorts of things and, and using food at work is that when you're in a, a kitchen space that you can lose your passion. And I've, I've seen other people in, in the industry. Mm. And I don't know if this comes back to the hours thing that you were talking about too because I think it's synonymous a little bit with 
this industry, like in the um, ki- you know, a commercial kitchen where you do these ridiculous hours and then at the end of the day all you want to do is eat some hot chips. But I, I, one of my fears is that I'm going to lose my passion for cooking. But it seems that you in no way have lost your passion. Uh, if anything, it's going to be know, like, no, no, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, that's the truth. Well, potentially, like, <laughs> within a commercial environment, it's like, you know, if, I don't always have my kitchen at home set up yeah. as easy as it would be to prepare food at work. So within yeah. a commercial environment, you've got everything there, all your equipment, you've got a whole list of all your spices and everything mm. you possibly need to make something. Whereas I could go, oh, yeah, I'm going to make this, and then I'll go to the cupboard and I've used all the cumin up and haven't bought any. So, you know, this is all things like that. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. I think, yeah, yeah, just don't spend too many hours in the kitchen. Like, yeah. you know, That's get a good key, headspace and, you know, mm. feel positive about what get you're doing in the first chef. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can see, I mean, potentially with the hours that you could be doing, like, it is sort of um, upsetting. But by having those, I think, with the connections and, you know, experiencing, you know, what other people are doing outside of work with being able to use their produce that they grow. So that's the thing is like, I've always thought when I leave the farms, oh, it'd be awesome being a farmer, but, you know, potentially it's like a 24 hour day job, but it is, and Mm -hmm. seven days a week. Whereas, you know, I could not cook and have people still cooking, but I guess suppose they could get people in and do labour, but a lot of people can't. <laughs> but, yeah, like, farming is so much harder. And I was, it's almost like, you know, I'm happy I've got all these other people that can grow produce and, you know, they put all their energy yeah. and passion into it and then I'm just sort of showcasing it through work. Yeah. So it feels sort of special to be able to do that. So yeah. I think it's sort of like a mindset sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, if you get all these people doing wicked stuff for you to begin with and yeah. they, they're growing, then, you know, you support them. It's yeah. good for us. So yeah. those relationships help. And, yeah, always leave a farm sort of full of the energy that I believe that those people have got, um, you know, within the area that they're working as well. Yeah. So, you know, leave excited mm. and use that enthusiasm to then either think of something you know, excellent mm. to produce with that or just do exactly the same thing that we've been doing. Some things we can't take off the menu, but mm. it'll be a change of the seasons or, you know, things will start tasting differently or there's something else that you can add to the dish that will, you know, change it a little bit. So yeah. this, it's a constantly sort of evolving thing. We'll change the menu anywhere up to like twice a week just because things become available to the end of the season mm. or something else comes in. Um, so by printing in house, house that helps. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just uh, I guess it's up to you at the end of the day as yeah. to whether or not like, yeah. you, you turn it into something that you don't like doing. Like, so yeah, true. so don't do it. Like, if you yeah, think exactly, it's happen, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. it's actually really valuable um, feedback. Even just hearing you talk about your passion for what you do, it's just been one of those like meant to be moments for me yeah, cool. today. So yeah, that's something extra I've got out of it. Yeah, thanks. So can you, before we finish up, mm-hmm. let everyone just know um, if they want to reach <laughs> reach out to you. <laughs> yeah. If anyone has any questions or if they want to come to um, Wild Canary, like, yeah, where they can find you, what's the best way to get in contact? Probably not through DM on Instagram. <laughs> you do anything. Oh, yeah, no, you know, so there's always hello at Wild Canary, so if you have any questions, yeah. you always come into the restaurant and check out what we're doing anyway. So yeah. we're open seven days a week, breakfast and lunch. Yeah. Um, We've got, yeah, Walkinary E is a way that you can always, like, get in touch if you've got any, like, desperate questions that, <laughs> that you can't Google, Google. <laughs> yeah, that Google won't answer for you. Um, but, yeah, there's heaps of different ways. You can yeah, get a hold of plenty us, of like, ways. You can dine yeah. in for breakfast and yeah. ask for the most and, ridiculous, yeah. contortionist thing. We might have to go for breakfast. We'll, we'll just do. say yes. <laughs> Yeah, and the chef will come out and say hi. Yeah, you, yeah. You've got a question, really? Like, yeah, no, we're pretty flexible with anything. Like, yeah. yeah, it's always like, yeah, about the experience and 
just making sure mm. that like the guests leave happier than they turn up. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, and that's with what we've mm. got within Wild Canary. We're surrounded. We've got the you know, giant fig tree. There's all this bamboo Such a established space. garden. Like an actual, it's a pretty, not an ornamental fig tree, but like a big no, fig tree. A, Oh, we've got fig fig trees in the garden itself, and they've actually <laughs> come with a basket. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have to. Yeah, something will come along and eat it. We don't pick the figs early enough, but it's we've got a couple Jessica. of fig trees. In there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's a good. I mean, by having that, even yeah, like a fig wow. tree, you can go. Oh, okay, well, you know, figs yeah, are at the end of the season yeah. nine, but you know they're going to be available soon. So yeah, so yeah, oh, it's a good gosh. ideal way of sort of keeping mm. control or an eye on what's sort of seasonal and coming into season. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Thank you. No worries. Thank yeah. you so much. No, it's been fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, if anyone has any questions. Um... <laughs> no, no questions. No, Google. You can, you can come to Carissa and myself if there's anything general in regards to today. No, obviously, we're always here if you have any, anything that you need to know. So, um, other than that, you can find out about Wild Canary. I'll pop the details in the show links. And um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. As always, share this episode. If there's other people that, you, you know, if you're listening to this and like, oh, my God, blah, 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 needs to listen, share it, subscribe, do all the things. Mm-hmm. Other than that, have a fantastic day. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, no worries. Let's just keep thinking of all these other things we're going to be talking about, really. <laughs> even things as far as, like, eggs go. Like, we get our eggs at the moment. So we two different people do our eggs. Yeah. So one of them come from forage farms up on the Sunshine you Coast. You were worried about two of And the other one, they're coming from Alara. So we've used him for the last five years. Yeah. Um, they'll ring us up and go, look, we've got a new flock of chickens, so the eggs are going to be smaller. And it's like, that's cool. We'll just sell yeah. our stuff. So there's that yeah. open lines of communication because we've got those connections. Mm-hmm. So if a customer goes, oh, my eggs are really small, then the waitress goes, well, that's because it's a new flock of chickens. They're going to be like, you know, 600 grams to a dozen. So they're, they're obviously because they're a younger chicken, they're mm. producing a smaller egg. Mm-hmm. And as the chicken grows, the egg's going to get bigger. So you know, come back in three months of, and stop whinging. Yeah. So, <laughs> but like if you, if someone, if your um, staff notice that, obviously mm. to this person it's like my eggs are small like how could yeah. how could that person be like well that sucks like yeah. just to have that information yeah, i'd exactly. be like that's amazing that's, that's so really cool. interesting yeah. Yeah. maybe next but, time i'll ask for three instead yeah. of two but they're wicked eggs and that's the thing so I there's a flavor there that always present really well they're so fresh so they cook up really well as yeah. well but uh yeah to have that extra information it stops any potential problems yeah and even like you know if I'll put, if there's 600 grams to a dozen, then I'll put a couple of extra in my recipe if I'm doing cakes. I was going to ask so that. You'd have to adapt modify. your baking a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so it's pretty easy to do. Yeah. yeah. I often think that with the recipes on the website, that's one thing I don't specify is egg size. Mm. I, I feel like you're so specific, in, though. Oh, yeah, but thought like it's we always did. something like that Some people of the, will just yeah. be like oh i'm not sure you know this didn't work or that didn't work and eggs is one of those things where yeah, it, yeah it could be like well what size egg was it because i would get oh. mine from the local markets mm. and sometimes i'd say majority of the time they're on the smaller size than the things that you would get the things those ginormous ones that people yeah. might get from the supermarket like sometimes there's twice the amount of liquid easy right mm. And that can really change yeah, the recipe. The lemons out the front at the moment, we've got them, they're probably oh, the size yeah. of a softball almost. Yeah. So they're insane. So the recipe says one lemon. Mm. There you go, use that. But yeah. then even we did it the other day, it's like, what's your pinch of salt compared to mine? Exactly. So one of the girls has got <laughs> and what's ours? Smaller fingers. Well, my pinch is like 
say a quarter of a teaspoon yeah, yeah. and hers is like less than an eighth of a teaspoon. Yeah. So if it says a pinch of salt in the recipe, yeah. it's going to be different. Or a handful of spinach. My hands are heaps bigger than everyone else's. Yeah. So yeah. that's going to be, but that's good. You can't have too much spinach. So, but I don't think you can have too much salt either. No, so. like no salt. exactly. Soy, <laughs> salt and oil. Hey, Jess and I just like, when we do yeah, that. my desert island ingredients yeah. is extra virgin olive oil, <laughs> salt and lemons. That's yeah. my three things. It, without it, you can do anything. When yeah. we did our luncheon thing, people were just blown away because obviously we, we, it was like obviously a bit of an educational thing and then people got to make their own food and then sit down and eat it. But when we were just showing people like how to use different veggies and roast them up and, you know, not be afraid of stuff. Like we're watching people apply salt and olive oil and Jess and I just like more, more, more. The point where I actually got an email from one of the girls that attended afterwards and she's like, I actually, the highlight of my day was you taking the olive oil off me and just pouring it over everything. She's like, all I hear in my head now when I'm at home cooking veggies is your voice saying more. <laughs> I remember seeing yes. one of the girls in the baking tray after it was all done and crispy and delicious and she was carefully getting the veggies out and putting them into the salad bowl and then obviously there was like a pool of the oil with all the flavours we just and I just kind of like tip, like I had to kind of coax her to lift it up and tip it all into yeah. the salad. She was like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. get it in there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, these are the things we enjoy. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I might actually stop us okay, now, hey? Cool. Okay. <laughs>